0: Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman? Upon our hearts this morning for his glory, for the building of our church, and for our good. And let's please be seated. And let's pray again together. Almighty God, as we approach your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see who you are. Lord, to see who you are in the person, in the words and the works of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Help us, Father, to see all that Jesus came to accomplish in the power of the Holy Spirit. Triune God, we praise you for the wondrous gospel. Lord, for this work of redemption that you have wrought, the only plan of salvation whereby sinners like us could come into your presence to be saved, to be redeemed. Lord, we pray that you would help us as your people to walk as disciples of Christ. Help us, Lord, to, to walk the paths that he walked, and even as we saw last week, to follow him in the paths of suffering. And as we'll see this morning, to walk in his paths of saving, of seeking and saving the lost, through his precious gospel, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in the precious name of Christ, the only Savior. Have you ever lost something that was important to you? Most of us have lost our car keys or a wallet or glasses or things like that. Some, like me, have lost these things on multiple occasions. You turn your house upside down, searching every room, sometimes searching every room several times in an attempt to find that which was lost. And remember the relief when you found this item that you were looking for? Well, losing things like wallets and keys and glasses is an inconvenience. But have you ever lost something really valuable? I mean, really valuable. Perhaps for you, that lost something was actually a lost someone. Maybe a lost child. It's every parent's Worst nightmare. This past March, three-year-old Jude Layton wandered away from a resort near Kingston that was owned by his grandfather. This forest, the, the resort was surrounded by woods and the weather was cold and rainy. For days, rescue teams, over 50 OPP officers and over 50 volunteers scoured the area looking for Jude. Well, as days passed, the hopes of finding the boy alive began to dwindle. His parents would have been beside themselves with worry. And sleep, I'm sure, was impossible. But praise God, on March 31st, three days after he disappeared, this three-year-old boy, Jude, was found alive and well, asleep near a beaver pond about a kilometer from where he was last seen. This is on the outer edge of, a, of the, the search grid that, that, um, that rescue teams would, would engage. Usually they only go, for a child of three years old, they only go up to 1.2 kilometers. And this area had been previously checked. But then they came back and they found him sleeping there. Well, imagine the parents' joy when little Jude turned up Fine. They would have been ecstatic. Well, let so see from a passage this morning that, that God is like those parents. And we are like that lost child. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Luke 15 is perhaps one of the best loved chapters in the entire Bible, it presents three parables that describe something being lost, a sheep, a coin, and we'll see next time, a son. This morning we're going to look at the first two parables from verses 1 to 10, and then in two weeks, Lord willing, this third parable from 12 and following, which is the parable of the, the lost son or the, the prodigal son. And all three of these parables essentially share the same motif, God's relentless search for the lost sinner and God's great joy when the sinner is found. Each illustrates the same truth, Christ's diligence and Christ's passion to save sinners. This passage is tied to what we saw in a couple of weeks ago in Luke 14, 15-24, with the invitation to the great banquet rebuffed by many, but accepted by the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame of the city. And those are the highways and the hedges outside of the city. As we saw then, it was the spiritually destitute of Israel and of the Gentiles who accepted the invitation to come to the banquet. Outsiders have been welcomed inside, and those who thought they were inside find themselves instead on the outside. Having been rejected by the self-righteous religious leadership, Jesus turns to offer words of comfort and hope to self-consciously unrighteous sinners. But notice that, that throughout this passage, he is addressing the Pharisees. This is a warning to them that they must repent and follow Jesus. There are three main sections in our passage this morning in verses one to three we see the context in which the parable was presented. Parables were presented and in verses four to seven we see the parable of the lost sheep and in verses eight to ten we see the parable of the lost coin again these are very familiar parables to us but these twin twin parables of the parable of the lost uh, of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin and then The parable of the lost son that follows revealed who Jesus is, that he came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. And he came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance, Luke 5.32. So then first of all, the context in which the parables are presented, verses 1 to 3. In order to understand the scriptures, you must interpret everything in light of the context. First in the immediate context, and then in the broader context. You can't just take verses out and try to develop a doctrine based on individual verses. You need to consider it in light of what's around it immediately and then what follows more broadly. So in order to understand the meaning of these parables, you need to understand what was going on that led Jesus to tell the parables. Remember that Jesus has just left the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. And and when Jesus was being yet again rejected by the Pharisees, that the great crowds began to follow him. But in the ensuing message, Jesus preached anything but a seeker-sensitive message. He explained to the, the great crowds the cost of discipleship. Remember, the key point is that salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship will cost you everything. Jesus warned that those who reject his call to discipleship are worthless in the kingdom of God. And then he closed by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So then at the beginning of chapter 15, we find out who has ears to hear. The great crowds from fourteen fifteen have thinned out, but, but tax collectors and sinners draw near to Jesus to hear Jesus. So the tax collectors and the sinners are the crowd within the crowd. Remember from our studies that tax collectors and sinners go together. We've we've already met this class of people. They are the despised and the rejected. They're the the outcasts of society. The tax collectors were seen as as traitors, as extortionists. And in this, this they were because they were Jewish citizens who collected taxes for the Roman occupying army. And in so doing, these tax collectors made for themselves a sizable profit. We first met tax collectors back in chapter 3, verse 12, when, when they came to John the Baptist. Then we met another tax collector up close and personal in, in chapter 5, Levi, who remember left everything and followed Jesus, became one of his disciples. The sinners are, are again closely related. The sinners are are the immoral. They are those that live contrary to God's law. Now we know that all people are sinners, but this term was reserved for the particularly sinful. This label is a value judgment made on those who willfully break God's law and fail to conform to the standards of society. And these sinners too were were very much outsiders, cut off from temple worship. And again, this follows logically from what we heard in in chapter 14, in verse 21. Remember, the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind of the city have been invited and are coming to the feast. But remember that this refers to the spiritually poor and crippled and lame and blind. Tax collectors and sinners know that they are unrighteous. They know that they need to repent and turn to Jesus. These are the spiritually needy. These who know that they are spiritually needy. And it is they who have ears to hear. The religious authorities, on the other hand, do not have ears to hear. Self-righteousness is a very effective earplug. You will not be able to hear Jesus' call if your ears are full of your own virtues. Now, maybe you don't draw the line at the same place as the Pharisees. But do you feel the need to show others the good things you do? Do you use tools like social media to promote yourself? Well, your virtue signaling points to a self-righteous heart. Friends, do not seek the approval that comes from man. Seek the approval that comes from God. When you begin to see that, the only way that you can find approval from God is through Jesus Christ, then your ears will begin to be unstopped. You'll begin to have ears to hear. These deaf Pharisees and scribes once again rejected Jesus. Verse 2, they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, the word that's translated receives here means to have a a good will towards someone, to welcome someone, to accept them. So the Pharisees are rejecting Jesus for accepting sinners. And in their eyes, eating with sinners is even worse. Again, consider the former tax collector, Levi. He left his tax table. He left everything to follow Jesus. And then he invited Jesus to a feast. And he invited his fellow tax collectors. Well, he was a former. They're still tax collectors. He invited them to a feast to meet Jesus and to hear Jesus teaching themselves. But back in chapter 5, how did the Pharisees respond then? They grumbled asking Jesus' disciples why he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus replied then, answering, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is Jesus' reply even now, some two and a half years later, and the Pharisees and the scribes are still grumbling. In Luke 19, just before his crucifixion, Jesus is going to encounter another tax collector, Zacchaeus. He'll invite him, Jesus is going to invite himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Now Luke doesn't mention the Pharisees there in, in Luke 19, but, but if they knew, you can be sure that they would still grumble. They're disgusted with those Jesus associates with, and so they're disgusted with Jesus for associating with them. Now this idea of, of separating themselves from those they deem to be sinners was a fundamental part of the religion. The Mishnah says, Let not man associate with the wicked even to bring him near the law. So have nothing to do with a sinner. Even to tell him the law of God. It's not a very helpful evangelistic practice when you consider the fact that the the law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. The Pharisees aren't evangelistic. The name Pharisee means separatist. So furthermore, these separatists couldn't be evangelistic because the only news that they had is bad news. Jesus is far from being a separatist, at least in this sense. Jesus does bring separation between believers and unbelievers, and he will separate the wheat from the chaff and the sheep from the goats, but not yet. The thing that the Pharisees grumble about is the very thing that Jesus came to do. Bringing good news to those in spiritual need is exactly why Jesus came. We go over this again and again because this is Jesus' mission statement. Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus' mission statement. Yes, Jesus accepts sinners. Again, this is exactly what he came to do. Throughout Luke, we see Jesus having mercy upon sinners, welcoming outsiders. And this would have been very encouraging to, to the Gentile converts to who, who were Luke's target audience. Just as it is, it is very encouraging to this Gentile audience 2,000 years later. The Pharisees drew near to criticize But these tax collectors and sinners drew near to listen. Again, we see this follows from chapter 14. Jesus has just told us the kind of people that we should welcome. The kind of people that he welcomes. Aren't you thankful that the Lord Jesus received sinners? He received sinners to to pardon them, to sanctify them, and to prepare them for heaven. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. To repentance, So Jesus tells the Pharisees this parable and the next parable and the next in order to correct their thinking. He's giving the Pharisees here uh, yet another chance to repent and to turn to Him. It's also been a huge encouragement to those who are being rejected by the religious authorities. To know that they have been accepted, received by him. Even while they're rejected by men. I don't know about you, but I will take rejection by men every day of the week if it means acceptance of Jesus Christ. Has Jesus received you? Are you aware of your sinfulness? Are you aware of your need of a savior? As a sinner who has been received by Jesus, do you receive sinners and eat with them? Jesus is the friend of sinners. Are you a friend of sinners? It's a good thing that that Jesus is a friend of sinners, or he couldn't be your friend, or he couldn't be my friend. And it's your great privilege to introduce your friend to these people. To introduce these people to your friend so that they also can become his friends. Because Jesus delights to save them. Jesus rejoices over the salvation of sinners. This is who Jesus is. He is well worth giving up everything to follow. So let me have the first parable. The parable of the lost sheep in verses 4 to 7. Again, Jesus tells his first parable to show the Pharisees what he came to do. It feels that his purpose is one and the same with God's purpose. And it makes sense because Jesus is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God. And together, there's one will. There's one will in the Godhead. So Jesus came to to teach the Pharisees what he came to do. Show them how it is in direct opposition to what they came to do. But it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the Pharisees to repent and to follow him themselves. And also, again, a huge encouragement to those who have been rescued by him. He says in verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and goes after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, I don't know if you have any experience with, with domestic sheep, but domestic sheep are pretty much defenseless. And they also aren't the, the smartest animals in the pasture. When a sheep knows that it's lost, it first, it, it tries to hide itself under a rock or, or under, under a bush. And then it's going to start bleeding and, and quivering, bleating. It's the sound that sheep make. If the shepherd doesn't find this lost sheep quickly, this, this sheep is going to be killed by, by a predator, by a, a wolf or a lion or a bear. And even once this the shepherd finds the sheep, if it's still alive, it is it is often too, too traumatized to even walk. And so the, the shepherd has to carry the sheep to safety on its shoulders. What a clear picture that sheep paint of the human spiritual state. It's, it's really no wonder that Jesus uses sheep so often as an illustration. Because we're sheep. We have no natural defense against our enemies. And if we're lost, we're in big trouble. And sheep might not be very smart, but, but we're often dumber than sheep. Because the sheep at least have the good sense to know when they're lost. We often don't even realize when we're lost. And if help doesn't come, we'll be devoured by enemies much more dangerous than wolves and lions and bears. We'll be devoured by the world and the flesh and the devil. And we will find ourselves before an infinite enemy. Find that our enemy is God himself. But praise God, the good shepherd comes on a rescue mission. He leaves the 99 in the open country and goes after that one lost sheep, searching until he finds it. And the 99, they, they feel secure that he goes after the one that is in immediate danger. The shepherd takes the initiative. Friends, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Jesus is not helplessly standing at the door and knocking. Jesus isn't impotently waiting. He's in pitifully begging. He's actively seeking. Luke nineteen and ten. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this sheep rescue mission is no walk in the park. It is going to result in the death of the shepherd, for he will lay down his life for the sheep. John ten eleven. All we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all Isaiah 53:6 We were all lost sheep once But the Lord Jesus bore our iniquity. He died for our sins. This is the will of God. This is the gospel. In the covenant of redemption between the Father and the Son, they devised the plan of salvation, the only possible plan of salvation, that the only way the lost sheep, you and me, could be rescued. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that ever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, we hear John 3.16 so often that, that it, it becomes a cliche. Never let John 3.16 become a cliche for you. Do, do not say those words. Just let them roll off your tongue. You're probably one of the first verses you memorized. Think about what they mean in your heart. But This is the message of the gospel. But Jesus as the good shepherd is contrasted with the Pharisees who are the supposed shepherds of Israel. Turn with me for a moment to Ezekiel chapter 43. Sorry, 34. Here we have a a prophecy on the the lips of Ezekiel through the Lord, where the Lord prophesies against the shepherds of Israel who were feeding themselves instead of feeding the sheep. These supposed shepherds slaughtered the fat ones, did not strengthen the the weak ones or or bind up their injuries or or look for the lost ones. Instead, they harshly ruled over them. As a result, the sheep were scattered because those charged with shepherding them had abandoned them. And then the sheep became food for wild beasts and they, they wandered all over the mountains and all over the earth. So God says in Ezekiel 34, 11 and 12, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, that they have been scattered, so I also will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. The Lord God will search out his sheep. He will rescue his sheep. He will care for his sheep. He will feed the sheep. He's going to seek out the lost. He's going, to, he's going to rescue the strays. He's going to bind up the injured. He's going to strengthen the weak. But the fat ones, he's going to destroy. He's going to do everything that the Pharisees should have been doing. But for the Pharisees, he's going to feed them justice. He's against these shepherds. He's going to rescue the sheep from them exactly what Jesus is doing here now this prophecy would have been well known by the Pharisees they themselves were indicted by this passage they were the selfish shepherds caring for themselves at the expense of those they had been charged to care for but Jesus rescues the lost sheep and when he finds the lost sheep he, he joyfully lifts it up on his shoulders it's safe in his tender care and his protection, and he carries this sheep that was lost and is now found home to safety. And when he arrives, verse 6, he invites his friends and his, his neighbors, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And again, we see that this is exactly the opposite response from that of the Pharisees and the scribes, where they not only rejected the lost sheep, but rejected Jesus for accepting and receiving them. But Jesus rejoices over the lost sheep that have now been found. Brothers and sisters, Jesus rejoices over you. In Hebrews 12, 2, the writer says that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, do you realize that you, personally are part of the joy that motivated Jesus to go through what he went through. You are Jesus's joy. You are his bride. Jesus died for you individually. Jesus did not die for the nameless faceless mass of humanity. He died for you. Think about this. Meditate on this. Rejoice in this. So Jesus continues in verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Repentance. Jesus is saying that, that his response to the lost and found sheep is God's response to the lost and found sheep and just sheep and just, just think about how Jesus responds again. Jesus does not come with words of rebuke. Scour the gospels and think about this. To this, to the lost and found sheep, Jesus comes with words of welcome, with words of acceptance, with words of love. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his love. But it's the Pharisees themselves have, having rejected the lost sheep having rejected the good shepherd find themselves rejected. It is, it is they who are under the just condemnation of Jesus Christ. And as I looked at this passage, remember, remember looking at this as a, as a young believer, and, and and seeing that that God rejoices more over that one lost sheep than He does over the ninety nine. Again, I remember I remember puzzling over this as a young believer. It didn't, it didn't seem fair to me. Now I don't know if if Jude Layton had has siblings, but it'd be like saying that his parents love him more. That his siblings, because he was lost and, and now found, but that they were never lost in the first place. But let's look carefully at what Jesus is saying here. And again, let's consider the context. Who are the 99 righteous persons? Are there 99 righteous persons? Nope. Only Jesus Christ, the God-man, is righteous. Romans 3.10 No one is righteous. No, not one. Are there any who have no need for repentance? No. The only one who has no need for repentance is Jesus Christ. If you are a human being, and I trust that you are, you need to repent. We all need to repent. And not just a one-off. You don't just repent once when you're saved and you'll be done with repentance. You continue to repent. You'll need to continue repenting all through your life until the day you die. There are none who have no need for Repentance. Luke 5, 3 and 5, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So then who is Jesus speaking of here? Who who are these 99? They are those who think that they are righteous. They are those who think that they have no need to repent. And again, you see in the context, who is Jesus speaking to here? He's speaking to the Pharisees. And in their self-righteousness, they thought that, that everyone else, especially these these sinners, these tax collectors, these lawbreakers, needed to repent. Yeah, they need to repent, but not us. They don't, not only thought that these tax collectors and sinners needed to repent, but they thought that Jesus needed to repent. And as we saw with Levi, the former tax collector, again in in Luke 5.32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus rejoices to save sinners. This is a major theme in Luke's gospel account. It's a major theme in Acts 2. Heaven rejoices when sinners are saved. Brothers and sisters, all of heaven rejoices at your salvation. I can't just think about that for a moment. Heaven rejoices over you. Individually and corporately. But do you recognize your unrighteousness? Do you recognize your need to repent? If you do not, you are lost just like those Pharisees. But your value is not in your righteousness. Praise God. Because you have none, apart from the righteousness of Christ that has been credited to your account. Your value is not what you brought to the table. All you brought to the table was your need to be saved. But yet, Jesus values you. This is where your value lies. Friends, Jesus is more willing to save you even than you are willing to be saved. Come to him and he will lift you upon his shoulders and he will carry you to heaven. This is who Jesus is. He is well worth giving up everything to follow him. Well, finally, and more briefly, let's consider the second parable, the parable of the lost coin from verses 8 to 10. With this second parable, you notice that, that there's key words and, and key phrases that are repeated, showing that the, the same theme, the same motif is being repeated. And remember that that when when the, the Bible was written, exclamation marks were not invented yet. So the repetition is there for emphasis. Again, there's gonna be even more repetition in the in the next passage and, and more. Emphasis in this the parable of the the prodigal son or the lost son. It's like a a double exclamation mark. But we've already covered the the main points of of these twin parables, so I'm going to touch on the on this briefly, the main points briefly, but I want to focus on the nuances that the second parable brings out. Verse 8. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. So this woman loses a coin. Now, it seems that she's a poor woman. She only has 10 silver coins, 10 drachmas, which is equivalent to, to a denarius, the, uh, the wage paid to, to a day laborer for one day's work. So these 10 coins are, are probably her life saving. And so she loses one-tenth of her savings. Before it was one sheep out of a hundred. Now it's one coin out of ten. The relative value is increasing. In examples, we'll see it's it's one son out of two. She greatly values this coin. So she she lights a lamp and she conducts a thorough search. Now, an average house, especially of a poor person in that culture would have had no windows or, or very small windows so she'd need a light to light a lamp in order to search properly even during the day she, was, she sweeps the house she would have used a, a broom made of, of palm twigs and she would look diligently to see if this coin had had rolled into a corner or under a piece of, of furniture or, or become mixed with some dirt on the floor so we had dust bunnies back then too She searches diligently. She does not give up easily. I think if you lost one tenth of your life savings, you would do the same thing. When she finds her coin, verse nine, she she, like the shepherd who found the sheep. She calls her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her to celebrate the finding of this coin. Again, notice the value that is being communicated here. She values greatly. She greatly values this, this lost and found coin. This Is evident in her search, as evident in her response when she finds it. Now, if I lose even my wallet, I'm not going to call you and say, "Hey, let's have a party! I found my wallet." We'd be partying at my house all the time. But but this is just showing the value that that she has for this coin. Again, Jesus says that heaven rejoices. This time the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. So Jesus rejoices and, and all of heaven. This time the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. Again, it's the individual who has been lost and is now found. Jesus rejoices over you. God and the angels rejoice over you. And you are welcomed to to become part of that rejoicing. Have you had the privilege to share the gospel with someone where where the the Lord has worked in their hearts through the power of the Spirit and, and this person has come to saving faith in Christ? This is one of the greatest privileges. That you could have in this life to become part of, of God's work, yes, a, just a small cog, but knowing ultimately that it's God who does the work. But you are invited into the work with Jesus as his disciple. You are invited to, to come with him and to follow with him, as I said earlier, to follow him not just on the road of suffering, but on, on the road of, of seeking and saving the lost, and then you are invited to, to rejoice with Jesus and and all of heaven over the salvation of even one sinner. Now I know we long, at least I I hope you long for that moment at the end of your life or at the turn of Christ when you will look at Jesus the one who died for your sins, the one, the good shepherd who came on a rescue mission to save you. When you will look him in the eye, he will smile at you. You're never going to want that moment to end. You're never going to want to look away. But as I imagine these things taking place, I imagine that that there will be a consciousness those who are around you. That you've been privileged to introduce to this Jesus. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for those in your life who, who you love so earnestly, who you love so dearly to be with you? To share the gospel with your with your children, with your siblings, with your with your parents, with, with your friends. Not as the, the Lord works in your heart, as as through the power of the Spirit, you, you grow in a reflection of Christ and you, you begin to love not just those who are closest to you, but, but those, those who are even a little bit further from you. Think about your coworkers and your neighbors. You want to see them in the kingdom with you as well. And as God continues to sanctify you, as you continue to reflect Christ, that, that love is extended even to your enemies. You want to see them with you. Again, imagine the privilege of knowing that there are people in the kingdom who first heard about the king, who were introduced to to the, the king through your testimony. What a privilege we are invited into. Brothers and sisters, you are the lost sheep. You are the found sheep. You are the lost and found coin. You are the lost and found son. Again, Jesus values you. This is where your value lies. Your value lies in the value that Jesus holds for you because he values you. This is who Jesus is. He is well worth telling others about. He is well worth giving up everything to follow. But the Pharisees rejected Jesus. The Pharisees rejected Jesus for accepting sinners. Again, you have the privilege of of accepting sinners as one who's been accepted by Christ. So they also can be found. So they also can be accepted. This is the heart of God. So Jesus shows us the way to God and Jesus shows us the way of God. Jesus came to seek and save sinners. Like the shepherd came and found the lost sheep, and like the woman found her lost coin, as we'll see next time, like the father found his lost son. And like the shepherd and the woman and the father, he rejoices over each one. We'll see the Pharisees are are like the, the older son who grumbles at the apparent unfairness of it all. The grumbling Pharisees are contrasted with God who delights to show his grace and his mercy and love. As J.C. Ryle says, the love which goes after the sheep, seeks the money, and runs to meet the prodigal is intended to show the love of Christ. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Joshua read Psalm 23 for us earlier. Everybody loves Psalm 23. I've been to, to many funerals even of unbelievers where Psalm 23 is read. The Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. Everybody wants to not want. But if you want to know the good shepherd of Psalm 23, you need to know the good shepherd of Psalm 22. The same one who cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken so that you can be accepted in the Beloved. Jesus came on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came on a rescue mission to seek and to save you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you for your amazing grace shown most powerfully and most profoundly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ, God the Son, the God-man, was forsaken by you on the cross so that we could be accepted through the cross. Lord, I pray that you would help us as those who have been saved through the ministry, through the gospel of the Good Shepherd, that you would help us to be faithful to tell others about the goodness of the Good Shepherd, of their need to turn to him in repentance and faith. Help us, I pray, Lord, as those who are disciples to truly follow in your footsteps of seeking to save the lost. We pray this for your glory and for the good of your church. Amen.